This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organization. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon, listeners. You're listening to 3CR 885 AM in Melbourne and podcast on the 3cr.org.au or bze.org.au. So you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and my name is Erin Jones, and today we're going to be talking about electric vehicle policy and infrastructure. Beyond Zero Emissions uh, launched their uh, electric vehicle plan a little while ago, and there have been launches in Brisbane and in other capital cities around the country. So we're going to talk about uh, some of the issues around the transition to sustainable transport, and we've got a few different guests that we're going to talk about different components of that. But we'll just, um, so you can put on your calendars, and I'll, I'll talk about this in a little bit more detail towards the end of the show. There is going to be a launch of the Beyond Zero Emissions EV report for Canberra on December the 6th at 5.30pm. And we are asking if people would like to attend that event that they RSVP on the Beyond Zero Emissions website, which is bze.org.au forward slash events. So let's start talking about uh, tonight's topic then, electric vehicles. It's a really important part of the transition um, to a zero carbon economy to transition the uh, transport services in the different sectors. Um, obviously, if, if you're aware of the Beyond Zero Emissions work, we've done a high-speed rail report that forms part of it. But what we're going to be focusing on today more so is, is um, passenger transport and uh, the electric vehicles uh, infrastructure and policy that needs to support that. So, you know, there's a lot of talk when we talk about electric vehicles about things like range anxiety, and, and that's been one of the issues holding things up for some people. Uh, but really that's a bit of a fallacy for most people because the typical urban Australia have a dri- daily driving distance of only 35 kilometres with almost half of trips being less than 5 kilometres and more than 99% of trips being less than 120 kilometres which is in the range of most uh, modest EVs. So a lot of these things about range anxiety are a bit of a misnomer and a bit, bit more of a, a psychological barrier than anything else. Car travel in Australia does contribute to 8% of national greenhouse emissions um, and around 75% of that can be attributed to urban travel. 
And just as we've seen solar PVs were a rare sight 20 years ago, we're going to see the same things with electric vehicles as we get more and more of them on the road and, and more models do come do come online. So to start off, we're going to talk with um, Mr Tim Harrison and he is from the Queensland Government and they have put quite a bit of um, time and effort into looking at developing the uh, EV infrastructure in Queensland. So let's hear from Tim now. So listeners, today we've got Tim Harrison on the line. Tim is the Project Manager EV Infrastructure with Economic Development in Queensland. Welcome Tim. Hi, Erin. How are you? Yeah, good. Great, thanks. Look, um, I wanted to have a chat with you about um, the role and, and what, sh- what, uh, what direction is, is happening in Queensland around EV infrastructure. And I see that um, the Queensland Government seems to have been quite proactive in this space. I had a look through the discussion paper they put out in 2010 entitled an electric vehicle roadmap for Queensland. It's great to see that they're continuing down this path and, and haven't kind of lost focus on it um, and have created a position like, like yours. Is it a new position and do you know if there are similar roles in other states? Um, yeah, so about um, a year ago the, uh, the department that I'm working for, Economic Development Queensland, um, reinvigorated I suppose the the EV um, aspect and we're um, looking to produce a new paper um, similar to one that you, that you mentioned but it's a new strategy for Queensland it's, it'll be called uh, the future is electric the Queensland electric vehicle strategy uh, that's currently being developed in-house and will be made public following uh, cabinet approval in the new year and that outlines uh, a number of strategies that we have in mind for for Queensland and to prepare Queensland for the transition to electric vehicles. Um, we see a, we're trying to be at the forefront of of the change of uh, the transition in Australia. Um, I, I believe other states are, are possibly looking at uh, similar strategies or, or pathways for. EVs, however, um, I can't comment exactly on, on where they're at. Uh, I think we're being quite proactive and, and uh, I think it's an exciting role to be in and, and a, an exciting industry to be involved in. Yeah, excellent. Um, look, one of the other things that I um, came across in, in the research for this uh, this particular show was around the electric superhighway. Um, it seems like a pretty ambitious project, um, looking at, I think it was 1,600 kilometres um, in Queensland of, um, you know, basically a, a route that, that did have charging on it. Can you give us a bit of an outline of the scope and objective of that project? Yes, yeah, sure. So the Queensland Electric Superhighway is a, is a, a, a project that we uh, um planning at the moment and that's uh, a project that I'm res- responsible for planning and it will be what we are calling the world's longest electric superhighway in a single state or jurisdiction mm-hmm. uh, at over 1,800 kilometres from the Gold Coast uh, along all the way up to north to Cairns and we see it as being a, a very important step in, in not only enabling that route to be travelled by EV drivers but to 
increase awareness of the viability of EVs for uh, not just local residents but for travellers and tourists to, just to let them know that you know, Queensland has a long coast with many of many exciting places to visit along that coastline and, and soon you won't be restricted by you know, the range of, of EVs and you'll be able to visit a, a lot of these places. So that's one of the, the key drivers of it for Queensland Government is to enable uh, tourism and um, to reach these further um, northern regions of Queensland, the Great Barrier Reef, for example, and to in- increase awareness of, of the viability of, of EVs as an alternative to um, traditional combustion vehicles. Mm. So it actually ticks a few boxes for um, Queensland government objections um, objectives, then, doesn't it? So, so exactly, that's great. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's also seen as one of the. Yeah, I mean, we have identified that there are there are several barriers as to why Australia is somewhat behind in the uptake of EVs. Mm. Um, yeah, the availability of public infrastructure is, is one of those. Um, education and, and awareness is is another. So. Uh, there's a couple of the um, barriers that we're trying to tackle in our uh, with our strategy, and the electric superhighway is is, is the first step in in uh, tackling a, a couple of those key barriers. And so, is that going to be a collaborative effort with? Um you know, public and private, or, or how, how's that going to look? I know that, um, you know, Queensland company Tritum seems to have been a bit of a success story, not only locally, but with exporting their uh, charging infrastructure. Um, how, how's the superhighway kind of going to look like? Okay, so it's a, it's a joint project between Queensland State Government and uh, Energy Queensland, which is the um, merger of Paragon and, and Energex mm-hmm. and with supporting partners are um, local government authorities and local councils up and down um, Queensland uh, coast and some other supportive partners who are providing hosts uh, but it, essentially it is a, a government led uh, initiative and we are funding and um, installing and operating and maintaining the, the charging stations. Um, Tritium, who you mentioned, who are a uh, charging hardware equipment manufacturer, um, they are um, possibly being involved. We have a, a tender out for uh, who will supply the equipment for the um, stations, and that's still a process which is ongoing, so I can't comment on on the results of that yet, but um, yeah, they, they have expressed interest in supplying the equipment to, to the charging stations, along with a few other suppliers, and yes, we recognise they're doing a, a great job in being at the forefront of the international market for supplying you know, cutting-edge charging technology. They're actually the a recipient of a um, of an exciting uh, advanced Queensland business development fund, in which um, which is separate from uh, the EV infrastructure plans that I'm talking about, but they received a, a business development fund from the Queensland government of around 
a two and a half million dollar investment to support the development of their technology. Uh, mm. So it's exciting that we have some of those um, those companies you know, based here in Queensland. Yeah, that's great. Uh, listeners, we're talking to Tim Harrison, who is from the Queensland Economic Development Department, and he's a project manager for EV Infrastructure, and we're hearing about some of the positive developments to encourage and support that transition to sustainable transport in Queensland. Look, another project that I've heard about is the Fast Cities Network, which I believe is looking to create 230 kilometres of linked highway in southeast Queensland. Is this a standalone project to the the electric superhighway, or how do those projects relate to one another? Yeah, so that's a that's a standalone project that's been um, uh, offered or, or talked talked about by Tritium and some uh, of their supporting partners. It's not related to the electric superhighway that the government is um, is rolling out. So um, I believe that. I, I can't comment on the on the um, on the process or the the status of the fast city network. I know that there, as we made our plans um, public, that they may have looked at. That I know that that fast city network was looking at a more Australia wide or, or uh, possibility. So, yeah, I, I can't comment too much on on those plans, but they are they are separate. Um, Okay, but but generally, you know, the government would be pretty um, happy and supportive that there are other initiatives happening. Oh, yeah, most definitely. What what we're trying to do is just um, you know spark the the market to into action, and and we're entirely supportive of of any uh, movement in in the EV space, and anyone that wants to install more infrastructure and help with overcoming the barrier to transition then we're, we're, more, we're more than supportive to, of so we think it's, um, it's fantastic when uh, individuals or, or other uh, companies or private partnerships form to, to install more charging equipment because that's ultimately one of the goals of, of our strategy is to um, improve the uptake of EVs and that involves more charging infrastructure. Yeah, definitely. I had a chat to um, Ben Chester from Locality Planning Energy who have installed the first of what they see as a number of um, stations at uh, Noosa Blue and Noosa Heads. Um, They're particularly focusing on strata communities and having public infrastructure kind of um, within those those strata communities. So it does seem like there's a few different, um, you know, private operators that are seen an opportunity um, to create more uh, more charging stations around the place. So so that's great. Yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of round out things, looking forward, how do you see the EV infrastructure landscape looking like by, say, 2020? Uh, well, we're hoping to from a Queensland government point of view, uh, to roll out the first phase of the electric superhighway fast charging stations, which will involve um, the Bruce Highway, essentially, along the east coast of Queensland. We're in the first phase, and then in the following phases leading up to 2020, we look to install more charges at a more frequent intervals along the, the east coast, and then also... Uh, 
going further inland on popular tourist routes and other routes through western or western southeast Queensland and, and other um, internal routes west of, of the coast. Mm-hmm. We also are looking to complement those fast charging stations with a, a wider variety of destination charging stations, which are slower AC charges that will be located at uh, destinations such as hotels, uh, tourist, tourist destinations, uh, shopping centres, uh, beachfront car parks, etc. A whole wide, wider variety of of charging stations where users are expected to remain parked and and enjoy a destination or undertake another activity. Uh, if we can have install, you know, a, you know, saturate a lot of different options and areas of, to enable uh, EV users to have a wide variety of options for charging their vehicle, then that's um, that's great and that's one of our targets. So we. By 2020, yeah, I see there being a, a whole lot uh, more options um, for EV users to, to charge their vehicle and hopefully uh, um, the, the issue of range anxiety won't be a, such a concern or a barrier to, or a psychological barrier against people choosing to, to purchase an EV because at the moment that is a, is a big psychological barrier if, if the public don't see or um, know of uh, a lot of public charging options that are available to them, then mm. they they find it difficult to to make that um, justification in their mind when they're comparing the the cost differences, for example, of a of an EV over a traditional vehicle. So our, our aim is to try and alleviate that concern by by increasing the awareness and, and getting a lot of um, public charging places. Uh, on the map in Queensland, and uh, yeah, and if that can then be, if uh, taken up by the the, the private market, uh, and they can see that there's the EV uptake is increasing and there's potential opportunities, then and it would be great if the uh, government can step back and and you know the private practice gets gets into installing more of these charges where they um, where they see fit. Yeah, no, oh, that's great, and especially, you know, I think we're going to see like lots of um, new technology, whether it be solar or batteries, that um, we are starting to see um, some cheaper models on the horizon. So, I think that'll be a, a great assistance as well as in um, increasing that uptake. Yeah, that's right. We've we've identified that as one of the, the, the key as well. Is it who's an upfront cost differential at the, at the moment? Um, it's difficult to to solve that easily, but we're, we see some steps that government can do in, in investigating transitioning of the Queensland government fleet, for example, mm-hmm. uh, looking at um, volume purchases to try and um, make the manufacturers aware that there is a market for EVs in Australia that may help to get more models down, um, to be available here, which will then hopefully increase the competitiveness in price between the EV models and therefore lead to some price reductions and and hopefully we'll be working towards a a price equality or quality between EVs and and traditional vehicles, you know, in the early 2020s or hopefully sooner. But let's 
let's see how we go. But yeah, that is a, a significant barrier. But um, yeah, we're we're working on trying to, to tackle that as well. Great. Well, look, that sounds like there's some excellent initiatives going on in Queensland. So um, we want to see that transition happen as fast as possible, and it's it's great that this work is going on. So congratulations on that. So thanks, Tim, um, and uh, hopefully in the future we can chat another time when you've got some more developments to share. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks very much, Aaron. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Radio. So, listeners, today we've got Ben Chester on the line. Ben is from Queensland-based Locality Planning Energy. Um, Welcome, Ben. No, thank you. Um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what your company is and um, the different different realms that you operate in? No worries. Uh, locality Planning Energy is an authorised electricity retailer, uh, one of 12 authorised in Queensland to sell to small consumers. Uh, we've, we've established a niche uh, market inside uh, embedded networks and primarily towards residential um Embedded networks. Uh, the the main reason being that we set uh, set our eyes on embedded networks was because of uh, the the really unserviced levels of uh, high compliance levels that people were missing out on in these in these sectors, and uh, that's that's sort of what we bring is full retail compliance to to an embedded network. Okay, great. And what we want to really focus on today is um, the the work that you're doing around EV charging stations. So um, we see that um, the first one off the block is looking like being based at um, Noosa Blue Resort and Noosa Heads. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Um, that seems to be the first one and, and um, where else you're looking to put in charging stations. No worries. So the, the main thing with with the uh, car chargers in themselves is that uh, the big the big chargers, the big commercial chargers, really can't stand alone. They can't be connected to the network on their own. Uh, that's just purely for demand and, and cost efficiencies around the cost to deliver power to the to the car. But when you place them inside an embedded network, uh, they they become extremely viable. The cost to deliver the electricity uh, becomes very much in a, a reasonable space where you can actually provide high-level commercial charges at, at 20, 15 minute, 20, 15 to 20 minute charges for uh, people at a reasonable price, five dollars fifty to six dollars. So it's a, a very cost-effective model. And the the reason that we chose Noosa Blue was that Noosa has a, a very big uh, push within their council and um, within their community to to encourage this sort of uh, uptake of vehicles. Yeah, and, uh, Beyond Zero Emissions yeah. is actually doing some work with Noosa Council on transitioning, you know, a whole, you know, all the different sectors of their community to a 100% renewable model. So this is great yeah. that this this is kind of one of the things that's just coming out of the flavour of, of what they're trying to do in that area. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the owners of Noosa Blue, I mean, Noosa Blue is a strata community and all the owners are on board for it. It's a, it's a holiday rental apartment. There's no uh, permanent rentals there. Uh, but it was more the fact that it was a, a great... Uh, they, they were all really on board for, the, for trying to encourage it. It gives people a bit of range security, mm. which seems to be a big, uh, big point from people from Brisbane. Uh, even the Gold Coast now have the ability to travel to Noosa 
uh, in that uh, Noosa is about 180 kilometres from the Gold Coast. Yeah. And about a hundred, just a bit, about 90 k's from Brisbane. So they have the ability to travel with comfort and get to the likes of Noosa and, uh, and, and spend their time there and, and be able to get home. So that was, uh, that was the main thing. And it was just, it was a, a community, a collaborative community approach for Noosa Blue. Mm, okay, great. So going from you, you mentioned a couple of, um, prices there. Can you explain your charging model? Uh, our charging model at the moment, uh, for everyone listening, is that it's free for the next first couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, try and encourage a bit of uh, a bit of uptake in the, in the community, and uh, you can turn up, put plug your car in, and push start. Uh, but the charging model in general is per kilowatt, just as you would pay per liter, uh, and that's a big differentiation between most car chargers in the country. And it's uh, it's it's through uh, an app that you just apply uh, and just uh, use a user pay. It's uh, going to be at around about uh, anywhere from about twenty five to twenty seven cents per kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. which is on par with uh, it's a little bit higher than a residential Queensland one, but only by a couple of cents. And uh, generally, someone could fill their car up uh, between about five dollars fifty and six dollars fifty, depending on how much they take on average. Okay, great. And so we've obviously we've talked about um, the the one at Noosa Blue. What other sites are um, on the horizon? Okay, so um, we're moving into Kentucky Building as our primary building, which is in Marushidor, uh, about well forty five minutes south of Noosa. Uh, we're going to put one in there, um, and we've got two sites uh, earmarked in Brisbane and two sites on the Gold Coast. Um, haven't formalised them yet, but we're going to be moving towards, they're going to be a, a main centres there, so they're not going to be just for the people that live there, but they'll be for people travelling to the areas as well. Yeah, great. Oh, well, that's, that's really good. It's really interesting. Queensland seems to be, um, you know, really doing some exciting stuff in terms of um, EV infrastructure. Um, I know that, the you know, the... the um, Mechanisms you're using for Queensland Company. Um, I know uh, that que- the Queensland government is actually putting some effort into developing policy around this. Uh, so it, it's good to see that that's happening. Um, and I know these these locations really well that you're talking about, actually, because I've lived the last 15 years at Coolum, so I know oh, okay. those know those really well. Um, okay. Well, going forward then. You, you know, you've spoken a little bit about of your, your business and I've certainly my research looks like, you know, you've got a fairly strong emphasis on um, strata title communities and assisting those communities with um, managing their, their energy use and energy affordability. But how do you see the um, EV charging working with that? Do you kind of see that working in conjunction with some of those strata communities? How do you see it going forward? Well, I mean, the reason that we, of all the technologies that we can start to adopt and put into our business model, uh, the EV charger is really probably the most um, most important one, uh, not for us but for our customers. If you live in a strata community, uh, you're generally living in a higher density, uh, you know, you're, you're in a, community, a commuter type um, space either just on the outskirts or, or in the city. And uh, if you do live in one of those communities, you generally can't charge your vehicle in your car park because your car park's in the basement. Your basement doesn't belong to your unit, and how do you power, how do you how do you uh, power your EV? So uh, it's really it was something for us that the strata communities were really desperate to to have something where 
probably what's going to be the biggest uptake of EV users within strata communities, yet they haven't got the access to charge them. So it was really something that we looked at from a, uh, both a market perspective but also what our customers really miss out on um, being in these communities, which we can give advantage to do so. Uh, the big charges that we're looking at with these big commercial charges, they're not necessarily the ones that um, all communities will have. Uh, the, 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 they definitely have the access through um, our mechanisms and our technology and billing mechanisms where uh, you could have a, an AC charger um, similar to one that you would have at your own, own garage which could bill directly back to your to your residential unit um, just by a swipe of a card and it can be shared by anyone in the building. Okay, so great. So, so for example, the one at Noosa Blue, that's open to the public though. Is that, do you say Correct. there'll be some that'll be just in, um, you know, kind of the private area in strata basements and, and some that'll be sort of in public areas or visitor car yeah, parks correct. or something like that? Correct. I mean, the, the deployment of that large car charger, they're not cheap. They're not something that you could put multiples of for just people using that community. They really need to be a public access type um, device. Mm. Uh, the... And the thing is, if you park your car, you're probably likely to park it for the night or park it for a few hours, so you don't want to take up a car park that only takes 15 minutes or 20 minutes to charge a car for someone parking for the entire night. So there's multiple technologies that can be applied at different car charges at different um, rates uh, or output rates to charge at different levels. So there's multiple technologies available and we'll be deploying different different types depending on um, circumstances and customer demand as we move forward. Okay, well, that's great. Well, listeners, we're listening to um, Ben Chester from Locality Planning Energy talk to us about uh, EV charging infrastructure that they're rolling out currently in Queensland. Do you see your model going further afield? What, what's your plans on that scale? Oh, most definitely. Um, we've got, we've got um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of demand coming organically out of New South Wales and the ACT, um, and again, as we as we uh, build build relationships with the communities and, and see these demand for, for these these devices uh, build in these different sectors, we'll, we'll definitely be deploying them. Um, they're a great a great thing for communities, and it just depends that they're they're a big asset to put in uh, without demand. So mm-hmm. it really needs to be a, a, a as required driven. type. Yeah, community driven, and um, it's just uh, it's it's an ongoing an ongoing thing, and we, we definitely have uh, we've definitely got it in our our, our plans to be deploying um, probably as many of these things within a hundred kilometres of each other up and down the east coast eventually. Yeah, great. And so, if we've got any listeners that um, are in a, a community similar to what you've described, uh, or just think this might work in their locale, what's the best way that they can make contact with you? Uh, they could go, uh, I suppose, probably just call us through to our call centre, uh, 1-800-040-168, uh, or you can contact us via our, um, our website at www.localityenergy.com.au uh, and we can make sure that someone uh, can get in touch with you and do uh, viability and feasibility on your community and and get, uh, get these products um, to, to these consumers. Okay, great. Well, look, thanks for talking with us today, Ben, and um, we look forward to seeing more EV infrastructure and hopefully linked to being powered by renewable energy um, rolling out more and more. 
So thanks very much. Yeah, no, definitely. No problem. Thank you. Okay. So, listeners, we've heard from a couple of our um, interviews today looking at a state perspective and then at some uh, local infrastructure that's going in on a commercial basis. Our next interview, we're going to hear from Dr Chris Jones from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association around some um, broader issues and uh, policy of where they're going. So let's have a listen to Chris. So listeners, now we're going to have a chat with Dr Chris Jones. Chris is the National Secretary of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Now, um, to start off with, can you tell me a little bit of the history of the organisation and when you started out? Sure. So um, the Australian Electric Vehicle Association, or the AEVA, uh, as we know it, started in 1973, um, back during the uh, oil shocks. And um, uh, 1973 was obviously a big year for... Um, uh, for changes in the way energy was priced and, and perceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it basically started off as, as, a, as an organisation of like-minded people who wanted to sort of come up with more efficient ways of transporting ourselves and, and goods. It would have and, been pretty uh, groundbreaking back in the 70s. Well, I don't know. I mean, electric vehicles have been a thing yeah. since about the nine, early 1900s. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of people so, don't know that, do they? No, no. A- I mean, the, the technology is, is old, but... It was quite limited, certainly when, when petrol came along and the internal combustion engine allowed people to travel, you know, 50 to 100 kilometres on a tank of, of distillate, as they knew it back then. Uh, I mean, that was the real deal-breaker, uh, and the electric vehicle would, would only go sort of half or a third of that distance. But I guess even in 1973, we knew that the technology would mature. We just needed a reason to, to spend money on researching it. And that's obviously happened in the years since. Mm. So obviously, you know, most of your members, I, I would imagine, are either owning or aspiring to, to own an EV. Mm. What do you see, you know, as the biggest um, pros and cons of, of owning an EV? And if someone's kind of having that chat with you over a, a barbecue, what, what's your <laughs> feedback to them? I, I think the um, I think the main benefits. Uh, probably low maintenance to me personally anyway uh, they're a real low maintenance vehicle mm. um, and uh, y- yes they uh, if if charged with renewable energy they don't consume any fossil fuels um, but we we don't like to sort of cover that lest people think you're a greenie or something um, <laughs> you know it's kind of like everybody drives in a car we we just accept that that's just part of modern life in this country um, but uh, yes there are definitely environmental benefits but a lot for a lot of people it's because it's cool you know it's it's performance mm. uh, and, and like I said uh, I like the fact that it's low maintenance um, they're quiet and they're very efficient um, yeah there's a, there's a whole bunch of, of good reasons why we drive EVs and why we'd want to yeah um, uh, when you say cons um, it's all a matter of perspective Mm. Um, okay, they're more expensive, sure. Currently, but, uh, yeah, currently they're more expensive, and 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 not by much. And when you start looking at the high end vehicles like the the Tesla P one hundred D, yes, it's a it's a two hundred and thirty thousand dollar car, but it competes with 
half million dollar cars in 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 terms of its outright speed and performance. So uh, yes, it's an expensive car, but it represents extraordinarily good value. Yeah, and yeah. I think we you know we're going to see some changes pretty shortly when. Um you know those those more uh, affordable models. I mean, I know that was always the the Tesla mm. kind of aim was to get to that mass market model, and we're not far mm. far away from that now. No, so. not at all, not at all. In fact, 2017, we're going to start seeing, uh, I guess, the the holy grail of the consumer electric vehicle, which is 200 kilometres range at 100 kilometres an hour, uh, mm. coming in at under under fifty thousand dollars, and that's kind of what we've all sort of been hoping for. Yeah, there's kind of there's kind of those tipping points with lots of these uh, disruptive technologies, isn't there? And I think with certainly with EVs, we're probably not far away from that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that what's going to drive it, the acceleration, is is rapid uptake. And uh, you know, we're re- at the moment relying on early adopters taking that financial hit to justify the manufacture of better and cheaper vehicles in future. So um, it's just kind of inevitability. Uh, it was the same thing with smartphones and computers. You know, someone had to go out and buy the first one or two so that everyone else could do it a bit cheaper. Yeah, exactly. So can you tell me how many different models of EVs there are currently available in Australia? Okay, so currently available in Australia, we've got two. <laughs> it's a bit sad, really? but... Gosh, I yeah. thought there was uh, one so, so currently the BMW i3, yep. which is a, a very nice car, and it comes with a range extender option if, you, um, if you're worried that you might not have enough battery range. If there is the option of a range extender, like a generator, petrol generator on board. Mm. Uh, and, of course, the Tesla, any Tesla Model S. Um, and these represent the higher end of the market. Uh, unfortunately, the Mitsubishi iMiv is no longer being sold in Australia. The Nissan Leaf. Is no longer being sold in Australia. You can't buy. You're kidding. Oh, I didn't realise that. I no. I had looked at a dealership a little while ago and had a chat with them, but that probably was 12 months ago. Hmm. Yeah, and and they would have been selling out the last of their ex demos and and that kind and all of. If you see a leaf for sale now, it's going to be second hand. Yeah, they're not bringing them in. That just explain the logic of that to me, or as far as (laughs) from from the manufacturer's point of view, it's it's. It's a number of factors, but I'd say it comes down to the dealership model. The dealership mm. model is one of those industries that's going to fail as a result of this disruptive technology. Um, EVs, because they're low maintenance, they represent mm. uh, a, a, a big drop in their income because most of their income comes from service and maintenance. Yeah, and I think uh, that's something that probably, you know, it's kind of a... Pe- the general public who are driving, you know, the traditional um, internal combustion engine mm. don't really see that in, the, in terms of the, the pricing model of, of how how these businesses and dealerships have have existed. For That's um, right, yeah. If, if you go out and you buy yourself a Corolla or a Pulsar or something uh, and, and you buy it new, um, you know, you, you, drive, you drive out the door and it's already lost value just because cars depreciate quickly. But you will... Expect to pay about sort of fifteen hundred dollars a year in maintenance mm. for the next uh, for the life of the car, basically. Yeah. Uh, with an EV, you might rotate the tyres every ten thousand k's. Um, you put new ones on every fifty thousand, and that's it. That's literally all you do. Mm. So, so it's not it's not only disruptive in terms of uh, you know the the technology, but it's, it's disruptive in terms of the business model, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and, and I think the, 
uh, it's funny because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. I mean, the, the cost of manufacturing an electric vehicle at scale, at the current scale that we make internal combustion engine vehicles, it should be cheaper. Mm. You know, the, there's less parts yeah. uh, and, and the, the parts, many of the parts are already uh, being mass produced on scale anyway. There's no reason why they should be more expensive than a petrol car. But uh, I think we've also seen a peak in car ownership around the Western mm. world. Uh, and and we're going to move towards more of a, I don't I wouldn't say a shared economy, but certainly a, if let's buy one car and sweat it between a few people rather than everybody owning their own car. Certainly if they're going to be a bit more expensive than a regular car. Mm, well, you know, there, there is a lot of sense in that. It's a, it's a big m- kind of psychological move for people, but, I mean, it's the same as I always thought, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that everyone has a lawnmower um, and you use it maybe once a week. And, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. but but that's but it's hard to change those practices, isn't it? They're pretty it ingrained. Is, and, and, and we know that the marketing of automobiles, it, it doesn't target logic. I mean, <laughs> if, it did, if it did, we all hire cars when we needed them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's the promotion of freedom and getting out and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, unfortunately, so yeah, back to your earlier question, unfortunately, you can only buy two makes of electric car in Australia at the moment. However, come 2017, probably late 2017, there will be new vehicles on the market and uh, we may well see the new Nissan Leaf certainly towards the end of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the new make of Nissan Leaf comes with a 30-kilowatt-hour battery, which yep. is a, a big improvement on the old one. Mm. Um, the Mitsubishi Outlander, which is a plug-in hybrid. Um, yep. So you can drive around for about 50 or 80 kilometres on electric only and not put a drop of fuel in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very popular car, and I think they'll be coming out with some new iterations of that too. Uh, and, of course, we're all uh, sweating on the uh, Tesla Model 3, which should hit the markets. Um Probably early 2018. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think a lot of the other manufacturers really sat up and and had a good look when uh, there were so many pre-orders. It was, you you know, this pent-up demand for that Model Three. Just really, I think it was the biggest product launch in the you know in in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the 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 cost of entry to do that was fifteen hundred dollars, fully refundable. Mm. So uh, you know, it's 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 a bit of a, a psychological barrier beaten when people go, all right, I'm willing to put a sizable sum of money but not a huge sum of money down mm. to reserve my place in that queue. Uh, and Tesla's laughing all the way to the bank. You know, they've got, they've got pre-orders for 400,000 cars. They know that they can bank on their development. It's pretty good business risk when, when um, you know, you've had deposits on, on something that no one's even seen yet. So Yeah, but I guess what they have, what they did very cleverly was, was bring out the Model S, which is mm. a, an amazing vehicle, and of course the Model X. And so people have got confidence that they will deliver the three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. so just talking about infrastructure and, and charging mm. particularly for a minute, for 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 your members, what's your um you know their experience of, of charging? We've just actually um, had a chat with Tim Harrison, who's the um, overseeing the project in Queensland around EV infrastructure and what the Queensland mm. government's doing, which That's which sounds yeah. really positive mm. um, around a supercharging network that'll run the length of Queensland initially, and mm-hmm. then look at routes further west and into the future. Mm. Um, so from your members' perspective, how's the perception around charging for them? 
It's uh, it, it, we, we always welcome seeing new charging locations pop up, um, and and we're especially excited by the prospect of being able to drive the, the Bruce Highway on electricity. Mm. Um, but it's funny you can have electric cars without a, a fast charger network. Uh, it just means that you're going to be largely urban restrained. But most people are urban restrained anyway. Yes. You know, most people don't travel long distances on a regular basis. So uh, the funny, the funny thing about rolling out fast charging infrastructure is that it helps motivate people uh, into adopting the technology, uh, even if they're not going to use it that much. They might use it once a year, maybe twice a year. Um, I mean, here in Western Australia, we uh, helped establish the first. Um, fast charging network in the country mm-hmm. um, with the RAC electric highway and uh, obviously it was free for the first 12 months and it saw plenty of use and in fact every almost every last uh, electric vehicle that was on sale in a car lot got purchased mm-hmm. after the announcement of the electric highway because all of a sudden people could now leave home with their EV without having to have a second vehicle. Yeah. Um, so we do know that it has a positive impact on, on the way people uh, move themselves around and whether they'll pull the trigger on buying an electric car or not. Mm. Um, but it's also one of those things where it's very easy to over-invest in the infrastructure and only to see it sit idle for the most part. And it, it does represent a pretty ordinary business case because electricity is really quite cheap despite what some politicians would have you believe. Um, and the infrastructure to set it up is infinitely cheaper than that of, say, an oil refinery and a petrol distribution network and service stations and pumps. Um, you know, it's it's really quite a cheap exercise to put in a fast charger. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, I was recently reading um, actually an article out of New Zealand that was looking at a, a number of companies had made pledges and targets to transition their corporate fleets to EVs and government mm. departments, etc. Are you aware of similar moves in Australia and as advocacy and lobbying for the, these kind of transitions, something that the association is involved in? Yeah, it is. It is. We've, we've been um, uh, certainly in, in ongoing conversations with Mitsubishi about being able to supply outlanders to uh, local governments or, or corporations who want to start greening their fleet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, I know several, several businesses, at least over in Western Australia, have, have got an EV in their fleet. Um, and you know they're they're very popular cars, but again the uh, the business case for having an EV or several EVs in your fleet is really good because virtually zero maintenance costs, mm. um, which is where most of the cost of, of that comes in. Um, uh, but given that there's buying power in fleet sales, um, we see this as a really good opportunity to bolster uh, electric vehicle uptake in the country, and provide an affordable entry market for newcomers through the second-hand market. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, and a lot of people probably maybe haven't considered or grasped that fact of, A, that secondary market, but then even beyond that, that kind of repurposed battery, which uh, mm, mm. Is, is a really interesting thing around... Um, you know, for, for, for home storage and, okay, maybe at the end of the, the useful life in a vehicle, there's still a heap of life left in those batteries for That's conversion right, yeah. into, into home battery storage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're seeing quite a few people doing that nowadays, certainly with the old uh, 2010 Mitsubishi Amiya batteries. 
um, it was it was getting to be quite difficult to source replacement cells uh, for the battery packs. So uh, where where a warranty service or or a replacement was available, people have been repurposing these IMEF. They're 16 kilowatt hour batteries, so they're a good size battery mm. uh, for their home storage, and they're working very well. Uh, as you said, you know that okay, they're down maybe 80 percent of their original capacity, but that's still more than enough to run a house. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there, you know, there's some really exciting things, you know, on the horizon around that and, you know, putting aside the, the, the new battery kind of um, installation that's probably going to be on the horizon, but effectively as the fleet gets more and more electric, you kind of have a network on wheels as well, so... Yeah, and, and I, I don't know that there'll be uh, a huge amount of, of progress in the vehicle-to-grid side of things because... Um, Every time you charge and discharge your battery, it, it you know, uh, it, it wears its life down a little bit. So if you if you had your vehicle plugged into the network so that it was on charge, and then all of a sudden there was a huge demand for power, and they started buying power from your battery, um, you'd want to be being paid an absolute premium for that. And I think distribution networks probably won't go down that route because it would be necessarily too expensive. Mm. Um, but from a from a uh, home backup power supply side of things, you've got a battery on wheels. That's certainly possible. And and in Japan, that was demonstrated after the uh, the earthquake and tsunami there. Um, yeah, right. They didn't have power. People, electric vehicles, were able to run their household uh, from EVs uh, at night, and then still have enough to drive to work and charge up where there was power and, and bring their electricity home. Um, but I think it's a niche application. I, um, it'll be interesting to see how it does pan out. Yeah, but right. the energy market is in flux too, so yeah. who knows? <laughs> so looking from a um, national policy perspective, mm-hmm. what does the association see as, as kind of the key things to encourage the faster uptake of um, EV in terms of you know, government policy? Uh, we, we've been trying a number, we've been pushing for a number of different things and I, and I think uh, of access and availability of models is probably the number one frustration that we've got at the moment. Uh, even if you didn't need to be convinced that an EV was a good idea, you can't walk down to a store and buy one as easily as we should be able to. Mm. Uh, and I think revisions of the Motor Vehicle Standards Act 1989 will see the um, abolition of limitations on parallel imports. Mm. So that would mean that we can then import uh, makes and models of electric vehicles from right-hand drive countries like Japan and the United Kingdom. And we can get access to the models that we haven't been able to access here in Australia. Uh, New Zealand has been doing this, and, yeah. and the uptake in, in, of EVs in New Zealand has been faster than in Australia. So, um, yeah, that, that really revolutionised... Um the changeover of the vehicle fleet in New Zealand because it was quite an aged vehicle fleet, putting aside the electric vehicles, but just for general mm. vehicles. Um, mm, and that's mm. been, you know, going on for for quite a, you know, I can't remember when when that came in, but but quite a number of years. And you know, you'll yeah. see so many different variants of of um, you know models that are common here. Mm. The Corolla, let's say, as an example, you might see ten variations in New Zealand. Yep. So. That would be, a, I think, that would be a really positive move to happen yeah. here. Yeah, it's, it's a good start, and and then of course, uh, I mean, we don't we don't have any subsidies of any persuasion in Australia. Uh, I think there might be some minor, uh, there might be a hundred dollars off your Ego in Victoria, and there's no no stamp duty in ACT 
things like that. But they're all they're all fairly minor uh, kind of policies. We don't have any uh, grand, grand, generous policies, unfortunately. No, uh, and I actually read an article today about. Um a, what, what's kind of looking like a bit of a disincentive where there's going to be potentially a, um, and this was an interview done on ABC News this morning mm. from um, Federal Minister for Major Projects, Paul Fletcher, yeah. talking about dumping the fuel tax and instead using, having a road user, which would effectively yeah. be more of an impost of, of cost on, on electric vehicle users. That's, that's true. I did read that too. And... Um and when you think about it, uh, on a, on a per kilometre travel basis, um, user pays, that's probably the most responsible way to do it. But at the same time, many of our members are upset that we've already paid a premium to take mm. up this technology. Um, to be slugged with, with a, with a road with tax it, yeah. would be a little bit rude. Um, but we also know that, you know, uh, with, with vehicles using less fuel or no fuel, then the fuel excise is obviously no longer a valid or a, an effective way of, of recovering some of that cost of maintenance and construction. Yeah, I don't know if it's sort of a locked-in policy yet or it's just being flagged, but, um, yeah, for someone, you know, with an electric vehicle, it is uh, kind of, whether it's, a, you know, enough to change the decision-making process, but it, it's something, um, another factor to think about. Yeah, I, I don't think people would have a big problem with any effort to make collection of road taxes fairer. Um, you know, we we all appreciate that we drive on some of the most magnificently engineered roads in the world. Um, obviously, not as good as some parts, but certainly in Western Australia, we spend a tremendous amount of money on roads. I mean, something almost a billion dollars a year on roads, which I mean, it boggles the mind. But we've got magnificent roads, and someone has to pay for that. Mm. Uh, and it might as well be the people who actually use it on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps, you know, an annual odometer reading or something like that. Um, I mean, we've got the technology to, to monitor individuals every minute of the day, um, which is not without its, its concerns as well. But, you know, there are smarter ways to collect revenue, and, and I'm not surprised that the government's looking at it. Mm. Well, look, um, we're probably starting to run out of time, so I'll just... Um just ask you, if any of our listeners would like to find out more about the organisation or how to join, what's the best way that they can go about that? I'd uh, say so check out our website. That's the aeva.asn.au. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a good place to start. Now, we've got a very active Facebook page. It's just the Australian Electric Vehicle Association Facebook page. I'm pretty sure you can Google that and find it. Yeah. Um, we've also got forums, uh, which, uh, you know, it was, it was a very important source of, of dialogue back in the days when we had to convert vehicles to electric because you couldn't buy them. Mm. Um, but there's no shortage of people with production EVs there as well. Yeah, great. Um, so, yeah, I'd say get in touch with the organisation that way and, and get along to a branch meeting. And, you know, each, each branch around the country runs events uh, all, all through the year. Um, and definitely get along to some of them and, and look and listen and learn. Great. Well, look, thanks for joining us today, Chris. Really appreciate your input. Hey, not a problem. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing some different perspectives around EV infrastructure um, from a few different um, organisations and angles. Um, just a couple of other things that I will encourage you to maybe have a look at if this is a topic that's of interest to you. 
There was a documentary that um, came out quite a few years ago now called Death of the Electric Car. If you look that up on YouTube, there's some interesting history around the development of um, electric vehicles and and some of the politics behind the... um, destruction of some of those electric vehicles and, and the hold-up that, that happened. The other one that I'd um, encourage you to have a look at is a channel on YouTube called Fully Charged, which is run by Robert Llewellyn. He uh, looks at some really interesting things on all sorts of electric vehicles, not only cars but bikes, uh, motorbikes, planes, and also different elements of renewable energy. So that's a really worthwhile YouTube channel to check out as well. So I hope you enjoyed that episode on electric vehicles and the infrastructure associated with it. I'll remind you again that the Beyond Zero Emissions EV report, which was launched earlier this year, um, they're having launches all around the country, and the one that's coming up very shortly is in Canberra, and that is on December the 6th. And you can RSVP by going to the Beyond Zero website, which is bze.org.au forward slash events and check that out there. I hope you're also tuning in to the doco on the um, Foxtel channel Nat Geo which is uh, Years of Living Dangerously on Tuesday 7.30. The other thing that I would encourage you to um, get active with is the Beyond Zero Emissions Discussion Group. The next one is on Monday December the 5th and that is at the University of Melbourne. Again, if you check out the BZE events page, you'll find that. And this one is talking about methane leakage and fugitive emissions from unconventional gas. There's lots of ways to get involved with Beyond Zero Emissions. We always need um, financial support. Become a baseload supporter is a great, great way of doing that. And uh, you can get all our reports off the website or also if you would like be interested in a community presentation to any community group, school, your your workplace, um, there's also an opportunity via the website to book a speaker to come and have a look. So I hope you've enjoyed our uh, presentation today. Um, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at EJ4573. Um, I'd love your feedback. If you've got ideas for the radio show, we'd welcome that as well. And you can send an email to radioteam at bze.org.au. Make sure you tune in to our sister show on Friday at 8.30am.